0: This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. Return to your seats, and if you have a Bible, open up to Nehemiah chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, um, I'd encourage you uh, to grab one. Uh, Under the seat in front of you, there's a little tray under the seat. You can grab your Bible out of there and turn to page 226 uh, because this is a pretty detailed chapter. So we want you to be able to track along and uh, see what's happening in this chapter. So uh, basically, we're just into the third week uh, of Nehemiah. And uh, we will do uh, one more message in Nehemiah next week. Then we'll take a little Christmas break and uh, jump back into it. Uh, on uh, New Year's Eve, the 31st is a Sunday, so we'll jump back in on it there. But so far, basically, uh, in the most general terms, without repeating everything that happened in the first two chapters, what has happened is Nehemiah has returned uh, to the city of Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem had previously been uh, destroyed. The people had been exiled about 140 years before this book, and uh, now Nehemiah has returned and uh, he is going to lead the people who live there remain there in rebuilding the city walls once the city walls are rebuilt then people can move back into the city it'll be secure safe fortified the temples already been rebuilt um, and biblical worship has started to uh, recur uh, under the leadership of uh, Ezra, who wrote the, the, which is the previous book, is about Ezra. But now Nehemiah is, uh, is presented to the people God's provision for building the wall. Uh, the king, uh, uh, the Persian king, has allowed it, endorsed it, as even in essence paying for it by providing lumber from his, uh, from his forest. And uh, is supporting the work. And so in chapter 2, before we read chapter 3, in chapter 2 we read in verse 17. Then I said to them, this is Nehemiah speaking to the people. You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And then down in verse 18, they say, let us rise up and build. So we get the response of all the people. They're ready to rise up in the build. And then we get this great chapter three. I'm so excited about this chapter and you will be too, maybe not on first reading, but I trust God will help us all be excited by this chapter by the time we walk out of here. So let's begin. In reading chapter 3 of the book of Nehemiah. This is God's word. This is God's relevant word. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. And I forgot to mention that actually, while I'm reading this, I totally forgot. Uh, well, Honey, can you throw throw me right next to there's a little pointer thing? I'm sorry, I never interrupt the reading of the Word of God, but I want to do this, so thank you, so that you'll be able to track. I always get a, this is my first run, I always get the second service to get it right, so here we go. Uh, I don't know if you can see this, I can't see it. (laughs) This was a really great idea in rehearsal. Damn! help, help. Okay, up here on the top left, you see the sheep gate. I want to point this out if you want to look at this while we read. I'm not going to leave this up during the sermon. But you see the sheep gate up on the top left. Um, And that's where we're going to start. We're about to see how the whole wall is built. We're going to start at the sheep gate, and then you're going to see each group of people are with a different color as they go around to the fish gate, the old city gate, the valley gate, the dung gate, the fountain gate, the water gate. Uh, uh, The horse gate, the east gate, the the inspection gate, different water gate, uh, and the inspection gate. And then you're going to see these are the people who build all the way around. So as I read, you can look up there if you're in the first two rows and able to read it. uh, And the rest of you can trust me on it. So here we go. I'm going to start over again, take two. Nehemiah 3. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers and the priest, and they built the sheep gate. So you see that top left. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred and as far as the Tower of Hananel. And next to him the men of Jericho built, and next to them Zachar, the son of Imri built. The sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars, and next to them Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired. Next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, the son of Meshezebel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Bana, repaired. And next to them, the Tekoites repaired. But their nobles would not stoop to serve their lord. Joedah, the son of Pasea, and Meshullam the son of Besodiah, repaired the gate of Yeshena. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them repaired Melatiah the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the Meronithite, the men of Gibeon and of Mizpah, the seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. Next to them, Uziel, the son of Heriah, goldsmiths repaired. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, repaired. And they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them, Rephaiah, the son of Hur, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. Next to them, Judea, the son of uh, the repaired outside his house. And next to him, Hattush, the son of Hashabaneah, repaired. Malchijah, the son of Haram, repaired. And Hashab, the son of Peath-Moab, repaired another section and the tower of the ovens. Next to him, Shalom, the son of Halohesh, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired he and his daughters. Hanan and the inhabitants of Zenoa repaired the valley gate. They rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. Malchijah, the son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hacarim, repaired the dung gate. He rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And Shalom, the son of Kolhoza, ruler of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He rebuilt it and covered it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And he built the wall of the pool of Shelah of the king's garden, as far as the stairs that go down from the city of David. After him, Nehemiah, different Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, ruler of the half-district of Bethzer, repaired to a point opposite the tombs of David, as far as the artificial pool and as far as the house of the mighty men. After him, the Levites repaired. Rehum, the son of Benai, next to him. Hashabiah, ruler of the uh, half-district of Keilah, repaired for his district. After him, their brothers repaired. Bavi, the son of Henadad, ruler of half the district of Keilah. Next to him, Ezer, the son of Jeshua, ruler of Mizpah, repaired. Another section opposite the ascent of the armory at the buttress. After him, Baruch, the son of Zabbi, repaired. Another section from the buttress to the door of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. After him, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired. Another section from the door of the house of Eliashib to the end of the house of Eliashib. After him, the priests, the men of the surrounding area, repaired. After them, Benjamin and Hashab repaired opposite their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Maaseah, a son of Ananiah, repaired beside his own house. After him, Benui, the son of Hennadad, repaired another section from the house of Azariah to the buttress and to the corner. Pelal, the son of Uzi, repaired opposite the buttress and the tower projecting from the upper house of the king at the court of the guard. After him, Padea, the son of Perosh, and the temple servants living on Ophel, repaired to a point opposite the water gate on the east and projecting tower. After him, the Tekoites repaired another section opposite the great projecting tower as far as the wall of Ophel. Above the horse gate, the priest repaired. Each one opposite his own house. After them, Zadok, the son of Emmer, repaired opposite his own house. After him, Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate, repaired. After him, Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and Hanun the sixth son of Zalaph, repaired another section. After him, Meshelam, uh, the son of Berechiah, required opposite his chamber. After him, Malchijah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants opposite the muster gate and to the upper chamber of the corner and between the upper chamber of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for every name. Every city, every vocation, every task, every detail of this chapter. And while it seems so far away and so foreign, the names, the places, the roles seem so different to us. We pray that you would show us of the ever relevant, constantly applicable truth of your scripture. So speak to us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I ready to go home, just reading through the chapter. <laughs> but seeing as though I'm hooked on phonics, I was able to uh, do... Uh, to do all, all you do is, you could tell the worst names is where I lagged. All you do is be confident. This I learned in the seminary. Read confidently and fast because nobody else in the room knows how to say it. And so where I hesitated, that's where you lost confidence in me. Get, this guy didn't even know how to say Benaniah. Uh, but when I went fast and confident, I had you all fooled. Well, um, if you are new to church and you're a guest, welcome. Um, you may think, What have I walked into? Uh, surely the Bible is maybe even more irrelevant than I even thought that we would be teaching something like this. So I hope you, we don't confirm your suspicions, but I hope we show you that there is something valuable here. Maybe you're a Christian and you're just visiting. You showed up and like, there's a tree and stuff. You're thinking, Hey, maybe I'll get like five tips for battling holiday stress or one of those kind of sermons. Uh, and instead I get somebody building the broad wall and the, and the East gate and all this kind of stuff, probably not what you were expecting, but we're just teaching through. And that's, this is, where we landed today. Uh, And I think that the passage is eminently relevant for us as a church today. And rather than getting lost in all the details and who is each guy and where is he from and what does his name mean in the original Hebrew, rather than sort of getting lost in the woods, what I want to do is pan out a little bit. and and get an overview of the chapter. I'm going to kind of take that approach, give more of an overview of the chapter though we'll drop into some of the details. And what we're going to see in chapter 3, that chapter 3 is primarily about the people of God rallying together to build the wall around Jerusalem. And we know from the context that this is more than just a construction project. This isn't just, a well, let's just kind of give... uh, you know, the list of everyone, kind of like the credits at an end of a movie. Let's just list everybody who had any part in this deal just so they sort of get their mention. This isn't at the end of the movie. This is prominent. We get this the whole third chapter. So this is prominent. And, and what we're seeing given the context is this isn't just restoring a wall. It is restoring the wall, restoring the gate so the people of God may move back into the city so that the people of God may live for the glory of God and they may represent him as a light to the nations that they may flourish together right now the walls are in disarray and in many ways so are the people and so this is a work of restoration so that God's people can experience his blessing together and live representing him and his covenant this really isn't about building a wall it's really about God restoring his people for his glory. And when God in this instance comes to restore his people for his glory, what we learn from this chapter is his people are all in. His people are all together. They are all on the wall for the glory of God. That's what's happening here. They are all on the wall all together, all in their place, serving for the glory of God. And that's what I want to look at today, that when God restores his people, he calls all his people together to work for his glory. And what we find first in this passage is that there are all kinds of people on the wall. All on the wall, but I want to talk about all kinds of people. And then I want to talk about all on the wall, all together as his people. So first of all, all kinds of people. Now, it starts out, as you might expect, in verse 3. If you've read much of the scripture, you might expect this. In verse 3, it starts out with Eliashib, the high priest. He and his brothers build the sheep gate. So we start with an important gate. The sheep gate is where the animals, the sheep in particular, would come in. It was right by the temple. It's where they would come in. They would be brought in in order to be slaughtered. Or or sacrificed rather, not really slaughtered, but for but sacrificed, where they would be sacrificed um, in the temple. So the first the first thing we get is the priest uh, sort of rebuild and consecrate the sheep gate, because this represents uh, atonement. This represents forgiveness. It's not that we're going to see this. This is really a democratized project. We're going to see that it's not that Eliashib is more important. Or that uh, the priests are more important. That's not the point. The point is that atonement is most important. And that it is prominent. And so they start there. Because the very city itself is based upon the forgiveness that is given through the slaughtered lambs. Just like the very basis of our faith comes from the slaughtered Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins. That's the center of our faith. And so they start there on the wall, and then we get get the account of them working all the way around the wall. But it's not a clergy-driven process. There are clergy involved. So we get the priest in verse 1. Uh, If you notice that down in uh, verse 17... Uh, let's see, I'm going to bounce around here a little bit. Verse 17, after him, the Levites, so the Levites were involved in worship. They were sort of religious workers as well. And then we get the the temple servants. Verse 23, after them, Benjamin and Hashab repaired opposite their house. After them, uh, Azariah, the son of Messiah, son of Ananiah, repaired beside his own house. And that was uh, the wrong verse. Uh, so let's look at 26. We'll try there. And the temple servants living on Ophel repaired to the point opposite the water gate. So we have the temple servants, we have the Levites, we have the priests, and we have the high priest. So we certainly get clergy out working. But everybody else that's mentioned, which is by far the majority... Are, are not clergy. They are uh, the folks of, uh, uh, who live around Jerusalem or are in Jerusalem. And the reason I point that out is because this is a very progressive project that points to the church in many ways. Because in the Old Covenant, the role of the priests and the role of the regular lay people are sharply distinct. What the priest could do, even where he could go in the temple, uh, women could only go to a certain point. Gentiles could only go to a certain point. Uh, uh, Hebrew men could only go to a certain point. But the priest, the high priest, could go all the way into the holy of holies. So there was levels of it was a stratified, <coughs> stratified levels of responsibility under the old covenant. But in this case, though we get Eliashib mentioned first, the whole project is all people working together. So when we say all kinds of people, the first all kinds of people are clergy and laity. We don't even need to make that point under the new covenant. We don't really think that way. We believe in the priesthood of all believers. But in this situation, this is very progressive, that they are all listed together. We also see that there are men and women working together. I don't know if you caught this, but in verse 12, it says, Next to him, Shalom, the son of Halahesh, ruler of the half district of Jerusalem, repaired, he and his daughters... Now we don 't know if there were other women working on the wall, but we do know this is entirely out of character that at this time in history there would be women doing construction work on a wall completely completely uh, uncommon in the ancient world this is four forty five b c or four forty four b c so this is this is not Uh, the work that women would give themselves to. But I think there's a mention in there, just so we know that it is all kinds of people that have a role in building for the glory of God. It is all kinds of people that are to be involved. It's clergy and laity. It's men and women. And in the New Covenant, that distinction is, is erased, that men and women are one under Christ, that there's neither male nor female in Christ, the Bible says in the New Testament. There's people from different geographical areas, And that is super important. You may not think about that at first, but everybody's not from Jerusalem. Look at verse 2. It says, and next to them the men of Jericho. So people came from Jericho to help with the project. Number 5, we find the people of Tekoa are there. Uh, Verse 5, next to them the Tekoites. That's the the men from Tekoa or, or women as well if they're there. We don't know. Uh, verse 7, we find out next to them repaired Melatiah the Gibeonite, and Jadon the Marathonathite, the men of Gibeon and Mizpah. So folks have, have traveled over from Gibeon, folks have traveled over for Mizpah. There's other cities, Beth-Hakarim, verse 14, beth Zer, verse 16, Keilah, verse 17, so we don't need to look at every place. But the point is that people have come to Jerusalem from different points to build the wall. And place really matters in the Bible. These people have left their place of farming and uh, serving in their various vocations. Some of them have left their families, perhaps, to come work on this project. And here's why I think it's so significant that we get that detail. Because these people won't see the immediate benefit of their service. I don't know if you noticed, but some of the people said, so-and-so, I can't pull one off off the top of my head, but, you know, Joe built the wall around his house. Well, good on Joe. Joe had a bunch of volunteers come up and build the wall that his house butted up against. It would be be easy to say, Joe's a servant of the Lord, but Joe's kind of getting some real benefit out of this deal himself. If you live in Keilah and you come over here and serve, you get no daily personal benefit out of this. You're building for the glory of God. You benefit from the worship. You benefit from a festival when you come in for Pentecost uh, or something like that. You benefit certainly there. But your ultimate benefit is the glory of God and the good of God's holy city and the people of God flourishing who've chosen to live in Jerusalem, Zion, where the temple is. You're serving without self interest. That's why I think we get all these cities. I hope you know that. First of all, we don't even need chapter three to understand the story of Nehemiah. It could have gone from chapter two. You know, we're going to rise and build to chapter four. Now, when Sanballat heard that they were building, that would be totally fine. We would go. Oh, we would totally track with the story. As a matter of fact, one of the most popular books that's been written on the story of Nehemiah doesn't even cover chapter three. So it would be easy to skip over this, but why do we have it? Well, we see that people come from other places, and what does that tell us? That when you serve for the glory of God, and it's all on the wall together, that you serve without the question of how am I daily going to benefit from this? It's for God's glory and for the good. Of others. They're motivated to volunteer by God's renewing purposes. They're hearing God is on the move. God has turned the king's heart. God has provided. God is restoring his city. And when they hear that, the, that God is on the move renewing all things, they say, I'm all in. It doesn't matter if I see daily benefit of this or not. It's not their town. But Yahweh is their God. And these are their people. And so they will serve for God's glory and the benefit of others. It's really worth asking, can I look at my week? Are there points at which I serve with no chance of personal benefit in return? Jesus said when you're having a party and a banquet, don't invite people that can invite you back over and pay you back. Invite people that, that, that can't. He's saying, in other words, don't just serve people for, because of maybe there's a mutual relationship of service. Pour yourself out to people who can do nothing in return. That's mercy. How much do I serve where are, there's no possible benefit to me? Do I give my money anywhere where there's no benefit? And we do a building fund here, which is great, so grateful for people's Sacrifice in that, but if you're a member of this church, you get a benefit out of that. It's still, good to give to the glory of God. But I can say I get a benefit. Do, do I ever fund ministry, uh, perhaps to, it, to to reach a people that I will never see or know? You know, I respect people. I respect everybody who serves, but I, I love people who serve in children's ministry who don't have a kid back there. You're an empty nester. You're a single. You're a married without couple. Why? If you serve back there with your and your kids are back there, well, you're getting a benefit from the children's ministry. We always benefited from the children's ministry. So if you have kids and Grace kids and you serve, fantastic. Please do. But but you know it's kind of a deal where somebody's serving your kid, you're serving somebody else's kid. It's the grandparents that's back there. It's the single. It's the single in their twenties that's back there that gets no benefit. Personally, you're not serving your part of the wall. You're in Jericho serving somebody else's part of the wall. Powerful. I love that. The picture of this, serving without personal benefit. Did you notice that people from different trades and vocations are laboring together? Clergy, laity, male, female, different cities, different trades together. We've already seen the priests, the Levites, the temple servants, the religious Uh, workers. We've already seen them. But what about verse 31? This is an interesting one. After him, Malchijah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants opposite the muster gate and to the upper chamber of the corner. And between the upper chamber of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. So there you got the goldsmiths all along the wall, and they're right next to the merchants. People that do two completely different things for their jobs, their, their callings in the marketplace are completely different, but they're serving together. Or verse 8, this is probably my favorite one that's there. Verse 8, next to them, Uziel, the son of Herahiah, goldsmiths repaired. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers repaired. <clears throat> that is great. And you want to repair in that area because this is sweaty work, okay? And it's going to take, you know, I forget what it is, uh, seven weeks. I forget the amount. We'll get there. But it's weeks of work. And, and it's not real hygienic. And the goldsmith's not doing anything for you but stinking. But if you're working next to the perfumer, that's, that's awesome because he may have brought some. And he can spray and everything will be really nice. I just love that. And I don't know. I've never met a perfumer. I don't even know what that means. But I just think it's great that the perfumer guy is out there with a trowel and he is building a wall and a gate. So is the goldsmith as well. There's also district rulers. Ver, look at verse uh, 14. Malchijah, the son of Rechab, ruler of the district of beth Hakaram, repaired the dung gate. Verse 15, and Shalom, the son of Kohosa, the ruler of the district of Mizpah. So we've got not only perfumer guy, not only temple servant guy, not only daughter of Shalom out there, but we've also got people that are, have political uh, clout and power. These are like city officials. So they rule over a district. So they're kind of like a mini mayor or something like that. Uh, Or maybe a mayor would be, maybe that would be comparable. So they are there as well. Verse 29. Verse 29 After them, Zadok the son of Emmer repaired opposite his own house. After him, Shemaiah the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate. What does that mean? He's security. He's security. He's a security guy. Keeps, protects, guards the east gate. So, you got a security guard, you got a mayor, you got a perfumer, you got the goldsmith, you got the priest. And the whole point of this, we don't have to know any of this. Do you ever think what extraneous detail that God gives us? Why? Because He wants to show us that no matter what your daily vocation is, mom, teacher, whatever you do, engineer, that, that you are called to the people of God to work together with God's people. And what stands out most of all is that there's not one person mentioned with a construction background. Not one. In, in, his, uh, in his commentary on Nehemiah, Derek Thomas highlights this. He writes, the remarkable feature is that none of these workers are described as skilled wall builders. Not one expert in wall building seems to have been singled out. There were perfume makers and goldsmiths, but not a carpenter or stonemason in sight. Non-professionals were able to achieve so much, partly because of incentive and partly because of the energy of shared enthusiasm. This was teamwork at its very best. And the roll call is all the more exciting because everyone got involved. No matter how poor his own assessment of his gifting may have been, this passage truly illustrates what is often called every member ministry. (laughs) Everyone on there serving together for God's purposes all on the wall, and God is working in their midst and through them. I love this. People of different work categories coming together and serving God. Listen, marketplace skill and marketplace identity is important, but it's not your core identity. We, we find out they're goldsmiths, that's important. We find out they're perfumers, that's important. But their core identity is I'm part of the people of God. I'm part of the people of God, which doesn't minimize what they do anywhere else. But it's just not the, pr- the, the primary issue of who they are is not defined by what they do. It's defined by God and their relationship to God and their calling to him. And they're called to his people and they're called to their other roles as well. But it is their calling to God that is foundational. They identify as God's people who come and serve with a common purpose. You know, I talk a lot about, I'm gonna, it's one of the closing points today. I talk a lot about um, Different people serving together um, and the importance of that and how that represents the fruit of the gospel. Often we'll talk about maybe male or female, young or old, um, different ethnicities. We talk about that a lot, how when different ethnicities, different races work together and relate and are friends, that testifies the glory of God. But here's one we don't often think about, people who have different vocations in terms of their work, their calling, working together. That's one we don't think about much, but it's highlighted here. And I was just thinking about in our own church. I'm so grateful that we have people. Last week we talked about the scattered church and the gathered church. I'm just talking gathered today because we're working on this project together. So I'm just talking about gathered, but I'll slip in a word about scattered here. When we scatter, we scatter into all kinds of different places, all kinds of different uh, things that we put our hands to metaphorically speaking, throughout the week for our jobs. I was just thinking about in the last week. I thought about this last night. In the last week, the conversations I've had with people in our church specifically about their work, specifically, conversations I've had in the last week, which is I was with a number of people in one spot where I talked about their work, but this would just be a sampling of in one week the kind of people that I talked to since last Sunday and conversations I've had specifically about their work talk to someone who's in the esports industry. I talked to someone who's a professional counselor. I talked to someone who's in the automobile industry. Actually visited him at his office, got the tour down at Toyota, amazing. So I talked to someone in the automobile industry. Talked to someone in the defense industry. I talked to someone in education, someone who's a high school teacher this week, telling me a, in detail about some things going on in their work. I talked to an airline pilot about his work this week. I talked to someone in equipment sales. All of those people are very different. Different gifts, different abilities, and when they come in here, they, they serve in various ways to build the kingdom of God together. That's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to consider how God builds us together. Different aptitudes, different uh, places, different experiences, but it's so value, valuable that all kinds of people build the wall from all kinds of places That's what this chapter teaches us. And it teaches us also that they are all together on the wall. I don't know if you noticed the recurring phrase, but the most powerful phrase in the whole chapter, I mean, the people are important, so the people's identity is important. But the most powerful transferable phrase in the whole passage is found repeated, verse 2. And next to him. Next to him, verse 4. And next to them, do you see that? Verse 7, and next to them, repaired Melitiah. Verse 8, next to them, Uziel. Verse 9, next to them, Rephaia. He walks us around the wall and the powerful picture next to him, next to them. And then it shifts later in the chapter to after him, after them. But it's still that word of connection. Next to them. Everyone served on the wall, clergy next to laity. Again, we don't think about that in our world. I hope we don't. I try to dismantle that as much as possible. That the clergy lady kind of distinction, because it's not a New Testament. uh, It's not a New Testament concept. There's a role, an equipping role for a pastor or something like that. But, But but in the New Testament, we're all priests before God. So clergy and laity next to him, men and women next to them, the people of Jericho next to the people of Jerusalem, goldsmiths next to merchants, that's what we read, rulers, district rulers next to ordinary citizens, I love that. The person who rules and makes decisions for others and the constituency of that city working together at another city for the glory of God. All working together to build the city for the glory of God. Everyone had their spot. Some of them are removing rubble. Some of them are gathering rocks. Some of them are shaping rocks which may have sat around for better than a century. Some of them are are, are making mortar of some, some type. Some of them are stacking and and, and putting it, you know, all together, measuring so that it is all straight. Everyone next to him, next to them, everyone knew their assignment. Everybody had, nobody was working in isolation. Everybody is working along the wall with someone else. There's not a few gifted people doing the work and everyone else being entertained or wowed or isn't that amazing. This is everyone working together. It it represents, even in the old covenant, the reason I use the word progressive is because it's pointing forward. It represents a break from a sort of hierarchical, stratified Uh, citizenship uh, or even in the kingdom, it's, it's a different approach. This is we're all on the wall. All are needed. Everybody has a spot. Everybody has a job. We're all working for a common goal, which is not just rebuilding the wall, but which is God restoring his people. And we're all in that together. And please note this, Nehemiah nowhere tells us what he has done. He nowhere mentions himself. This is great leadership. All the credit goes to the people. Nehemiah is a gifted guy. Whoever pulled this organization off and got people to do this joyfully, this is is revival. This is renewal. You know, it's not everybody demanding the Goldsmith Union's demanding more water down by the East Gate. It's not that people demanding. It's not people. It's everybody serving. But he still had to organize this. He's still, they're human. He still had to break up some disputes. He still had to work with some leaders at negotiating it all through. It uh, doesn't say it in the text, but I know he's working with humans. This wasn't a break where no one sinned for seven weeks or whatever the amount was. So he had to lead the project. But where does he mention? There's a Nehemiah, but it's a different guy. He's never mentioned. All he said is God came and did all this. God provided all this. I showed up. I looked at the walls. I told everybody, God is moving. And they all said, we're in. Then I implied. I organized it. I recruited. I sectioned people off. I delegated. We don't get any of that. Because he wants us to see, God wants us to see, that when God is renewing his people, he calls all to the wall. All kinds of people working together. Tim Keller on this chapter says this, Rebuilding the people of God is the work of the whole people of God. I love that. Rebuilding the people of God is the work of the whole people of God. That's why this chapter is in the Bible. It's not just just Nehemiah. And it's not just a nameless workforce. It's real people with real day jobs from real cities laboring together. Man, this has so much relevance for us today because we're not called to build a wall tangibly around a city. We're at a different place in salvation history. When Jesus comes... And he gives his life for us. He dies for our sins. He rises from the dead. He pours out his spirit upon us. And the day of Pentecost, the church is uh, birthed under the power of the Holy Spirit. Everything changes. And now his people are called to take his good news. To tell everyone that Jesus gives eternal life. And that you can be a part of the, the very thing you were created to be a part of. To serve God and to serve others. And you do that through the building of his people. So now we are anticipating not an earthly city, but a heavenly city, which one day will descend down the new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem. That's what we are building towards. And the way the city is built now is through conversion. It's through people meeting Christ and then becoming part of what the temple. We are the living temple in the new Testament. The people of God are the temple of God. We're not building a structure. Uh, we're not building a city. We're not building a nation. We're building the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God expands as people hear the good news, believe the good news, and become followers of Jesus, not just followers of Jesus. If this passage teaches us anything, it's this, that you don't, you don't walk as a disciple alone. We follow Jesus together, next to him, next to them, next to him, next to them. That's where we live, and that's what God has called us to do and we do this as we build the people of God. Let me ask you a few questions as we close. These are application questions. Here's the first question. Are you on the wall? Are you on the wall? God is at work restoring all things and he is doing it through his people, the church. And I just want to ask, have you joined them? Maybe you're a part of another church, that's great. But are are you on The wall, or are you wandering about in Jericho doing sort of your own God deal, just you and Yahweh with your own personal faith out in Mizpah or Gibeon when the action is all on the wall? When what God is doing is restoring his people, what God is doing is corporate, so that there is a testimony to the nations of what it looks like when people are touched. By the love of God. That's why, if you're isolated over in Jericho, you can never produce that. You can give a testimony, you can share a Bible verse, but you can never be a part of what we're reading about right here, which is God restoring all things through the building of his people in the New Testament. We are the temple, we are the city, we are the people. So, if Grace Church is your home, let me ask you this Do you have a spot on the wall? Could you be identified in the list? Do you have a role? If I asked you, how are you involved in the church, what would you say? How are you tangibly involved with the people of God? What would you say? I'm not going to call on anyone, but what would you say? If, If I said to you, hey, who's next to you? Okay, this is repeated, next to them, next to them. If I were to ask you, who's next to you? I don't mean like right now on row number eight. Yeah, what's your name? I don't mean that. I mean, who are you laboring next to? Who are you working with? Who are you saying, hand me a trowel, can you pass me another stone? Who are you working with? Who's next to you? Who are you serving with? If being a Christian is following Jesus together, who's your together? Who's around you? There's so much joy in being joined together with God's people and building together to serve those inside and outside the church that this chapter is glorious to me because it represents people investing their lives in a way that counts, that matters, that had enduring value. They ultimately were reconstructing the city that Jesus would walk in. Jesus would walk in these gates 400 plus years later and announce the good news. God incarnate would come and visit. God wants to meet you, and God wants to use you on the wall. It's not about recruiting more people for our church. It's not about building a church program. It's not about who's got a perfect attendance record at Grace Church. That's not worth the paper it's written on. What it's about is, are are you meeting God and fulfilling his calling To you in your life by manning or womaning your spot on the wall. At at our church, and different churches are going to do this different ways because there's not one way to do this. Different folks are going to say, hey, here's how we're on the wall together in different ways. But at our church, one way to do it is when I think of who am I next to on the wall, two things come to mind. One is who's in my small group? It's not all my friends. You may even have a best friend that's not in that group. That's fine. We're not, we're not like, uh, organizing a friendship chart here or something like that. But, but that's the first question. Who's in my community group? Why do I say that? Who knows you? Like, when you're building the wall, if somebody doesn't show up for a couple or three days in a row, you're, like, worried about them. Hey, they back in the tents? They got the flu? What's going on? Let's, let's check on them. They're, they're not making it. We're, so you're known. You know, people care. you care about the people on the wall that you're next to. So who knows you? Who do you know? Whose burdens are you carrying? I thought about doing the diagram, which was, by the way, a total disaster in the way I led that. I couldn't even get the thing to work, whatever. But uh, it wasn't a disaster that somebody put that together. But the way I used it. But I thought about actually doing this. I thought about showing that with all the people around there and then show a, a different one with the same wall and just put up like pain community group. Uh, Rodriguez community group, uh, Vogelsang, just building around the community groups around the wall to make the point. And I thought, well, that's super cheesy. And now I'm telling you anyway. So <laughs> yeah, thought about that. Yeah. So anyway, if it was cheesy, you know, now I'm telling you my cheesy secrets, but, but I thought that's really the New Testament picture is that they're building a city that, that there was a tangible geographical place where God was uniquely present in the Holy of Holies in the temple. Now God is uniquely present in his people. And so we're building communities of people. That is the New Testament picture of this. And so who's around you? Listen, if you were in a community group and you haven't been in a while, just come back. So you've got to come to one meeting. Well, where have you been? If somebody's rude enough to ask it that way. Saying, I don't know, how long have you been rude? Don't ask that, but... Uh, <laughs> Where have you been? Where have you been? Oh, I just haven't been coming, but I, I'm, I'm getting back. I'm finding my spot on the wall. That's what you tell them. I'm back on the wall. I'm back. Great. Come back. It's amnesty every week. You're free to come back anytime. Maybe you're not in a group. Go to the Grace Church website, uh, and there is, a, there is a page for community groups. And there's a map and, like, pictures and phone numbers and email address. You can find where they meet. And you can just show up at one. Oh, hi, are you new here? Yes. I'm visiting some groups. I'm finding, finding my spot on the wall. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to be working by the east gate. Not sure if I'm supposed to be by the water gate, the sheep gate. Not sure, but I'm, I'm here. Find your spot. The other place is not only in our small group, but where do you serve? I when I think of finding my spot, I also think of where am I involved in serving, especially on Sunday, next to him, next to him, next to him. There's so many places to, find a, to, to work next to someone here greeting or ushering or music or facilities or coffee or security or uh, uh, or grace kids if you have children and grace kids that's the first place to look if you have kids back there that's the first place to look for your for your spot on the wall whether it's your kids class or not um, just in that, in that ministry, which you are richly uh, benefiting from. But if you're looking for a place on Sunday morning to serve anywhere, you can go to the website. There's a volunteer page. You can fill out a thing, and someone will contact you. I'd like to know about this. I'd like to know about this. Maybe you just want to inquire. You're not signing your life away. If you go to the website, you didn't. Oh, great. You're in the three-year-old class till 2025. Great to have you. We're not going to do that to you, but, uh, but you'll find out how you can get involved. All on the wall. Listen, this is, the health, this is one of the healthiest moments, honestly, in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is filled with sinners, messed up people, sinning grievously, killing people, sleeping around. I mean, it's a mess of humanity that God has joined himself to, people just like you and me. But this is one of the highlights when actually they got it right. This is like one of those Acts 2 moments when, wow, it's, let's just capture this moment. This is so good. Everybody's working together. Nobody's fighting, stabbing somebody. Everybody's just loving, working together. This is the marker of health. When we think about our church, this is the marker of health. In our culture, the marker of health is how many people are in your church. When I meet people and they find out what to do, usually the first question they ask is, oh, how many people are in your church? Well, that's not a bad question, but it's, it's, a, it's an interesting question. Because we think about how many people, or wow, you're building, people see our building, and they like it. I like it a lot. But drive it, oh, wow, oh, that building, that is great. And they instantly have this impression, wow, I really like your building, so that must mean you're a, like a really good church or something. Because you have this really, you've got a, a, a tower. You built a bell tower kind of thing. Wow, it's green and red right now. It must be a great <laughs> church. I love this building, and people did give sacrificially to build this building. That says something. But the health of the church is not what, how, what programs are you doing, what's your building look like, how many people are coming. The health of a church is are our people in community together on the wall? Are we serving together? Are we, it, how many people are all in? If 20% of the people are doing everything, I'd say it's a very unhealthy church. I don't care if there's 10,000 people coming. If only 2,000 of them are involved, that's not healthy. I don't care how great the building is. If it's an auditorium to sit and observe people, a few people on the wall, that's not healthy. What's healthy is all on the wall. James Boyce in his commentary repeats a story, an illustration that's been used a lot, but he says this, the church today resembles a football game in a large stadium. 80,000 spectators in the stands who badly need some exercise and there are 22 men on the field who badly need a rest. We don't want to build that kind of church. A lot of people need to get exercise and a couple of people just dying. I've got a couple minutes to finish this. I'm going to finish this up here. Okay, so first of all, the first question is, are you on the wall? Number two is, do you see the big picture? Each worked at at a gate or a spot on the wall, but it contributed to the whole. That's what's powerful about this chapter. What you are a part of, what you are a part of, is more important than the part you play, and that's demonstrated by the high priest, who, religiously speaking, would be the most, I don't know, religious the highest guy on the religious, uh, on the religious uh, org chart would be the high priest, and he's doing the same thing that other people are doing. He's building a wall. Because what you are a part of is more important than the part you play. Each one of these jobs is, many of them are mundane. They're not spectacular. But when you view the whole, it's glorious. It's God restoring his people. It is God restoring his people. And he's using Eliashib, the high priest. He's using Eliashib, the high priest, and he's also using Malchijah. Do you remember Malchijah? I wouldn't fault you if you didn't. So many names. He built the dung gate. He built the dung gate. Eliashib built the place where the animals will come into sacrifice pointing to atonement. al built the dung gate, which is the place where people will go through the gate and dump their poop. That's what the dung gate is. I'll be no more graphic than is necessary, but that's what it is. Scholars say the dung gate is the place where human and animal excrement is dumped. Some of it maybe is used in, in the future as fertilizer. There are nine Hebrew words for dung. I thought about sharing nine English words. The middle school boys and I would have got a chuckle, but I decided, <laughs> I decided not to give nine words. Oh, I'd be on biblical footing if I did. Uh, I didn't want to give nine words for poop. I'm, that's the only one I'm going to use dung but the wor- the reason that's important is come- sometimes the word means useless it's a metaphor for something that's useless or general refuse so it may have been because it can mean dung literal human or animal excrement it can also mean refuse so it may have been the trash dump called the dung gate because that's where you took that but you also took your trash so he built the least dignified spot, the lo- least glamorous gate. So when your relatives come and say, "Wow, the city of Jerusalem! What part of the wall did you walk work on?" i <clears throat> You know, I, that's, you did the what? You know, but you know what? That is important. Because without being inappropriate at all, I want to say that the holy city where God's glory is revealed through his people for the nations to see is not going to be very glorious if it's filled with poop. If, it's not, if there's no place to take your trash, something that seems so mundane, so distasteful, a role that nobody really wants to be associated with, if that's, the city won't be glorious unless we have a dung gate. We just live in a fallen world where there's junk and trash and stuff. But the holy city, life in the kingdom is filled with menial and sometimes even unpleasant roles. It may not be glamorous to be at the church cleaning up. It may not be glamorous to clean a restroom or to empty the trash or to change diapers back in the nursery. But done for the Lord, it contributes to the whole. The reason I love that we get the dung gate in the Bible. The reason I love that is it shows that no service is meaningless. That this is the place we're gonna take our trash. It matters, it needs to look nice, it needs to be sturdy, it needs to be solid. It's as important as the east gate or the water gate. Because if you can't get your sheep in, yeah, that's a problem for our worship service, but if we have nowhere to take that stuff, we got a problem throughout the whole city. I love it, how earthy the Bible is. They're not afraid to say the number two gate. You know, they just call it what it is. It's the dung gate, okay? They just call it like it is. And so the guy who worked on that did something that really mattered. Because what you are a part of is more important than the the part you play. Do you see the big picture picture? There's somebody that goes through and restocks the guest cards in the chairs, in the auditorium. That matters. There's somebody that cleans up till late in the afternoon in the coffee service. That matters. That stuff matters. There's, there's not levels of what counts. We're all building to restore the as God restores his kingdom. Number three, do you value building with those different than you? I already made that point and I feel like I say it every week, but God is slowly building us into an increasingly diverse community, and we praise God for that. And we welcome that with the challenges and the misunderstandings and how do we relate, uh, with different ages, different backgrounds, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different jobs, um, live in different places. How do we work all that together? But we love it, and Nehemiah 3 gives us a great picture of that. When we all are on the wall for the glory of God, look what happens. Turn to chapter 6. We're going to get ahead. I'm going to read you two verses, and we're out of here. Chapter 6, verse 15. Chapter 6, verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elol, in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly In their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. What happens when God restores his people and all are in the wall and something amazing is accomplished for us, that would be love for one another, service to those in need outside the church and inside the church, community, honoring one another. He said, when they all saw that, their own esteem dropped. Everybody had a self esteem dropping moment, is what he's saying. All of a sudden, they're like, we're not that powerful. The God who built that, he's powerful. And they feared the Lord. They were in awe of the Lord. Right now the culture looks much on the evangelical church in derision. We talked about that last week. In many, many places for many of our own reasons we are in derision. And I don't blame that on outside sources. We, we, it's us. Our, our primary problem is us in terms of our reputation in the, in the world today. But when God moves and all are in and all are serving and all are together, the world takes notice of that and all of a sudden they go, "Wow. There's a God over there doing something. I want to know about him." So are you on the wall? Do you see the big picture what you're a part of? What you- overall is more important than your section. The whole city of God being rebuilt is bigger than your gate, but we need your gate, be it the sheep gate or the dung gate. We need your gate built. Do you see the big picture? Do you value building with those different than you? If you're a goldsmith, can you hang out with a merchant and build together? If you're a perfumer, can you work with uh, the goldsmiths who you are next to? If you're a religious leader, can you work with a clergy? If you're a government official, can you work with just getting your elbows, uh, rolling up your sleeves, put some elbow grease into it with the people that are your constituents? Be you able to work with those different? And not only are you able to work, do you value it? If you look around and say, everybody on the wall is just like me, that, I don't like that. I want some people different because that's how we grow. That's how we mature. That's how we represent gospel. And when the church is at that place, those around will take notice. It'll no longer be a laughing stock. It'll be a representative of the glory of God and the people of God. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org